Well, hey, Hub City, it's great to be with you today. And I want to start today with a question. You can answer it in the chat if you're watching with us at 10 a.m. You can uh, ask those you're sitting with and watching it with, or just think internally and reflect on it for yourself. But what's a risky choice that you've made in the past? What is a risky choice you've made in the past? Not something illegal or against the rules, right? Like my pranking days in college where it kind of skirted the line of vandalism. Not a decision based just in peer pressure, like the classic scene out of a Christmas story where under the pressure of the triple dog dare, you lick the frozen pole. But what decisions, what risky decisions have led to potentially uncomfortable situations? There's a hesitancy, there's a fear, there's a, the potential of rejection or mockery, loss, uh, something of that nature, right? Like the idea of uh, moving into a city where you don't know anybody. That's a big risk, and, and that, uh, because it's all unknown. Uh, maybe asking someone on a date for the very first time. That could be very risky, right? Because you don't know how they're going to respond. Or, speaking of date, going in for that first kiss, Remember how awkward that was for the first time? You're like leaning in, you're going 90%, hoping they come the rest of the 10 and not 10 backwards, right? That's a risky decision when you go to do that. How about submitting your name for a promotion at work? You, you, you put your resume in, your name in, you don't get it, potentially. There's some risk there if you don't get it, because now I've got to work under somebody that did get the job, and you might think you're better than <laughs> the person that they picked, and how do you work with these coworkers now that they know you want to move up? And there's just awkwardness and the potential of that, so it's kind of risky to do that, or trying out for a sports team, or the drama production in high school, things like that. All kinds of decisions that we face on a regular basis filled with risk. And, and there's a decision that I don't think we always equate as risky, and that is saying yes to Jesus. That saying yes to Jesus is actually a risky decision and it goes against our normal paradigm because normally we think, well, if I say yes to Jesus, my life is going to be easier, more comfortable, more predictable, more secure. But the fact is, is when I say yes to Christ, I'm saying yes to more risk in my life. And as we continue our series, Very Merry Christmas, looking at the life of Mary, we're looking at her story. And, and Mary's story shows us, as we've seen over the last few weeks, this conversation she had with an angel in which this angel shows up and challenges her with this message. You are highly favored. You are called by God to do great things. And, and, and we've embraced that calling. And, and then last week, talking about embracing the impossible, as God wanted to do the impossible in her life and through her life to make a, a virgin girl become the mother of the Savior of the world. That's impossible in this way, but we're learning to embrace that in our own life. This discussion between the angel and Mary concludes with a very simple statement that Mary says, and she is saying yes to God's plan. In Luke 1, 38, this is what Mary says in response to this whole conversation we've looked at. She says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And this is a, a statement. I say it's simple in the fact that it's, it's a simple yes, I'm in. Uh, let's make it happen, Captain, right? She's all in on this, and this statement shows a commitment. It, it shows, I'm in for whatever's about to happen, but let's go. And, and yet there's also this obedience, because she's following. She's not creating the path. She's following the path, and there's a submission to it. I'm the Lord's servant. I'm not the amazing chosen one by God, and I'm better than everybody else. No, I am the Lord's servant. I'm here to serve. I have a servant's heart, much like that of our Heavenly Father, who's, who's uh, got a, a heart of grace and a, a heart of humility, 
right? And you see that in her response. And as she says yes to God's plan, in that same moment, she's saying yes to a potential life of risk. And it may not seem very risky in this moment, but we're going to talk about some of that fine print that's at the bottom of the document, right? As you sign on the bottom line of a document, there's a lot of fine print that comes with it. Kind of reminds me of that scene out of the Santa Claus, Tim Allen's character, Scott Calvin. Uh, he, he puts on the red suit, jumps in the sleigh, ends up at the North Pole, finds himself in a conversation with the head elf, and they're reading the fine print of what he's chosen to do. He's put on the suit, you're the big guy, and here's the fine print, the Santa Claus. See, that's the whole point of the movie. And the fine print reveals the risk, the cost. And Tim Allen's character even voices what he's thinking of saying, well, what if I don't want to do that? What if I say no? What if I choose not to do it? Because the risk is too high, the cost is too pricey. And unlike Tim Allen's character, Mary's sitting there in this moment with an angel processing all of this risky fine print that she's going to have to embrace. And in one statement, she signs on the bottom line. I am the Lord's servant, and may it be to me as you have said. I'm in. Let's think about what risk Mary embraced. Let's unpack this for a moment. What risk did Mary have to embrace when she says yes? Think about it. What risk does Mary embrace by saying yes? One is she's risking her plans. She's potentially having to give up her plans. How many of you like making plans? How many of you live and die by those plans, right? There's a predictability. There's what to expect. She knows I'm going to get married to Joseph. I'm going to take care of him. I'm going to build this beautiful house. We're going to get Martha Stewart up in here, and then we're going to have a couple kids. Life is predictable. That is her lot in life as a woman, and that is what she was going to be. In that time, in that culture, that's what they're there was for her to look forward to. And the angel shows up and says, hey, guess what? You're going to have a kid, and it's not going to be Joseph's. Well, all of those plans are risk at risk right now. They're, they're potentially going out the window. Why? Because at some point, Joseph's going to figure out, that's not my kid, and everyone around them is going to figure out, that's not Joseph's kid. And so all that plans of perf- uh, predictability are at risk. She's also at risk of being separated from Joseph. That once he finds out that that's not his kid, what's he likely to do? It even says in another gospel, it talks about how he was willing to do the honorable thing and and quietly separate from her and and allow her to hopefully walk away with a little bit of dignity. But in reality, if she were to be separated from him, there would be disgrace. She would be an unwed mother of a child, right? She'd be alone, she'd be hopeless, That's what's at risk for her socially. She's risking this potential separation and broken relationship with the man that she's chosen to get married to. How about her reputation? She's risking her reputation and the potential of a reputation that is going to become so damaged. Think about it. She is going to become so socially outcast. I mean, we all think that our kids are amazing and and gifts from God. Don't get me wrong, right? Those of us that are parents, we think our kids are amazing. She literally thinks her child is the child of God, a gift from God, the Savior of the world. Think about it as she's telling her friends around the table, right, as they're sitting there knitting and watching their soap operas and doing what they do, and she's saying, yeah, my son Jesus, he's going to be born. He's, the, he's God's son. I was conceived by the Holy Spirit, not by Joseph, right? What is that going to do to her reputation? <laughs> you think you got crazy friends. How about crazy Mary that thinks she got impregnated by the Holy Spirit? People are going to think she's crazy, she's delusional, she's unstable, 
in, in ways. She is running the risk of having that reputation thrown upon her. She knows the truth, but she's about to be misrepresented potentially. She could also be considered an adulteress. See, she's risking her life in saying yes to this because as an adulteress, under the customs of that time, she would have or could have been uh, at threat of being killed. We find that as an instance for Jesus. In Jesus' ministry, he comes across this circle of religious people that want to do what to an adulterous woman? They want to kill her because under the customs of the law and everything that they lived in at that time, the, the consequence for that was punishable by death. And so Mary, think about Mary and what she's embracing, this risk that she's embracing. She's risking her life because if Joseph breaks up with her or if the town begins to think she's an adulteress, what's going to happen? She potentially could even be killed for this. There's risk that she's having to embrace. Reminds me of another scene from the movie The Santa Claus, and not quite so heavy as the risk that Mary's embracing, but Tim Allen, again, as he's embracing this new identity as the new Santa Claus, he faces the social and, and cultural awkwardness, the social rejection, that risk of reputation that we're kind of talking about here, as he's mocked by his co-workers for his diet and his appearance. They question him. They think about what's going on here. Uh, he's questioned by his family and friends for his appearance, but also some of the stories he's saying and the things that he's saying. It gets to the point where even his ex-wife gets lawyers and cops involved with a restraining order against him because the stories he's telling his son Charlie and the, and the things that Charlie is saying, their son is saying, is making the mom very nervous. And, and it's created this awkwardness, this uncomfortableness. And, it, and, and so now he's at risk of being thrown in jail just simply because he's said yes to this new identity as the Santa Claus. They think all of this begins to spiral throughout this movie. Risk is a part of saying yes. Mary encountered risk. Tim Allen, Santa Claus encountered risk. The scriptures are filled with examples of people that as they said yes to God's plan, they themselves encountered risk. Think of the apostles of the early church, Peter and Paul. Right? They're not seen and adorned as saints and holy, holy dudes and noble in, in this way at their time. In their time, how did they get, uh, how, how, how were they received? They were hated by people. They were ridiculed. They were imprisoned by people. They were beaten by people. They had to write these letters to the early church saying, guess what? Expect suffering. Expect persecution. Not everybody's going to hear the message of Jesus and say, sign me up for that. There's the risk of being ridiculed and beaten and imprisoned and even killed for this. In Hebrews chapter 11, the author writes about the, the, this grouping of people and describes people who have, by faith, prioritized God's will and God's plan and his purposes above their own. And they were willing to take that risk. And, and let's read that out of the message version, verse 36 through 38. Saying, others braved abuse and whips and, yes, chains and dungeons we have stories of those who were stoned, sawed in two, murdered in cold blood. Stories of vagrants wandering the earth in animal skins, homeless, friendless, powerless. The world didn't deserve them, making their way as best they could on the cruel edges of the world. These people said yes to God, and with that came suffering and difficulty and consequence. Came rejection and loss. Jesus talks about it in his teaching. In Luke chapter 12, he describes how 
even families would be divided over the gospel message, that they would embrace Jesus and you'd have spouses divided upon this. You'd have families where kids said yes to Jesus and the parents would be in such disagreement that they would disown them. Jesus understood that the message of life, the message of the gospel is going to divide people. There are consequences. There is suffering. There is difficulty that can sometimes happen. Even look at the life of Jesus. He is one that had to run the the, the life of risk. He, he, he embraced risk himself. He, he was willing to suffer and endure in, in ways that, I, man, it, it challenges me. Jesus was homeless. Jesus was mocked. He was lied about. He was conspired against. He was betrayed. Jesus was beaten. He was crucified. He, he risked all of that. Am I willing to risk in that same way that Jesus was? He was so obedient and so humbly uh, embracing the purposes of God that he had this, this ability to also embrace all of that risk, losing it all, being mocked, betrayed, beaten, and ultimately crucified. Jesus talks about this in Luke chapter 14, and he, he challenges his audience to count the cost. That's the phrase he uses. Would you count the cost in saying yes to following him? That, that, that saying yes to Jesus does come with fine print. And he's saying when you make other decisions, you, you, you count that cost, you evaluate, you think about it, you reflect on it, and then you move forward. And he's saying, would you not just jump into this without understanding that there is risk involved? There's the potential for loss and difficulty and suffering. And will you count the cost? Because ultimately the cost is going to be everything. Am I willing to pay that price of everything. This is not a Jesus that says everything's going to be easy and comfortable and predictable and secure. He's saying count the cost. Read the fine print. Evaluate the risk. And so I want you to think for yourself. What risk do we embrace when we say yes to Jesus? What risk are we having to embrace when you and I say yes to Christ? Think of the social risks, the cultural risks, the relational risks, the emotional risks. All of this potential for us being socially outcast from people. The pressure we might feel, the disagreements, the pushback, the questioning, the weird looks, the rejection. All of that kind of stirs within us. The risk we embrace as, as we watch as, as a married person says yes to Christ but their spouse questions them. They're trying their best to contend for their faith, but the person that they love the most questions them, ridicules them, dismisses them because of their faith. A child risking the, the disapproval of mom and dad because they're saying yes to what they believe God is calling them to do and the things that God is leading them to do and trying to be obedient to God. And it's gonna maybe be different than what mom and dad expect. And that kid is having to, count that cost and being willing to pay that price and being willing to endure that risk. You think about all the social dynamics of somebody at work finding out that you're a Christian. The potential of you being misrepresented or stereotyped or grouped up with some radical misrepresentation that's misunderstood about what Christianity is really all about. That's risky. There's a desire to say, like, I don't know if I want people to know that I love Jesus and follow Jesus. Because I, I, am I willing to endure all that hardship, all that difficulty? Think about 
missionaries like Brandon and Marcy Brzee over in Germany that we support, and Don and Sandy Godwin down in Mexico, and uh, all the good work that, that the Dappen family is doing down in Camp Amos, and, and you think about what they risk, the comforts of the U.S., the financial cost that they risk, the unknown and the social rejection, the risk of comforts and health and safety, and man, there's risk in saying yes to Jesus. It is not easy to do this, but embracing this risk says, well, I'm willing to be led by faith and by boldness, not by fear and by comfort. I'm not going to let comfort be the deciding factor for me. I'm not going to let fear be the driving force when making tough decisions. Instead, I understand that obedience is going to lead to some difficult times. Obedience is going to be It's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be comfortable or predictable. It's not always going to make me feel secure. Saying yes to Jesus may not always be the popular thing in in the environment that I live or or bring me mass acceptance. But I don't want to develop a religious heart that's rooted in fear, a fear of failure. Well, I I can't do that, Jesus, because, man, what if I mess up? What if I look like a fool? A spiritual heart that's rooted in fear of Fear of rejection. Well, I don't know about doing that, Jesus, because if I do that, man, what, what if people don't like me? What if people say bad things about me? What if they don't understand me? I, I can't do that. I don't want to live a, a life of spirituality rooted in fear of, uh, of discomfort. We fear the loss of our comforts. This is going to cost too much. So I'm going to lose too much. It's going to make my life miserable and chaotic and uncomfortable. I'm not in for that. Jesus, I'm not going to do that. But see, the gospel doesn't promote a comfortable Christianity. Jesus didn't die on the cross for a comfortable Christianity. So I want you to think for yourself, what are you willing to risk for Jesus? What are you willing to risk for Jesus? And don't give the cliche answer and just say everything. That's the easy answer. That's the churchy answer. But I want you to really think about that. And don't let fear drive that answer as well. What are you willing to risk for Jesus? When we say yes, there's risk. When Mary said yes, she was willing to face the social hardships, the relational difficulties, the emotional traumas, the life-threatening hardships, that all came with the decision to say, I am the Lord's servant, may it be as you have said. She embraced all of that in that moment. What's interesting is as I was studying her story, I had this aha moment when immediately after Mary's encounter with the angel, we see Luke record that she has this moment with her family member named Elizabeth. And Mary had just heard about Elizabeth's pregnancy with John the Baptist, and, and they were you know, still in process. She was still pregnant at the time, but she was in such an old age, it was so impossible for her to have a baby that Mary goes and visits her and goes to check this all out of what the angel has said. And we see this in Luke chapter 1, verse 41. It says, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is your child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she has believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. I find it interesting as we look at this moment that Luke records right after the encounter with the angel 
that Mary goes and has her faith confirmed in her visit with Elizabeth. One, she sees this older relative of hers is actually pregnant. Whoa, you should not be pregnant, but you are pregnant. That God is doing the impossible. This is awesome, right? That's got to kind of charge her faith tank, if you will. But then she's going, and she is blessed by Elizabeth. It says that the Holy Spirit filled Elizabeth in that moment. And the Holy Spirit is our helper, and he's our teacher, and he's our comforter. And, and Elizabeth is a spokesman for the Holy Spirit in that moment to bring blessing upon Mary, to bring reassurance upon Mary, to bring confidence and comfort and wisdom in that moment to say, everything you've been hearing about is true. God has been leading you in that moment, and you need to believe that. You are blessed. All of this is really good. And think about it. Mary's on that long walk to go visit Elizabeth, and she's got to be worried. Oh, man, what, am I, what are people going to think? What's going to happen? Here we go. I'm embracing all this risk, but man, oh, man, I'm a human being. This is stressful. This is, I'm, I'm worried. And then Elizabeth shows up on the scene, and the Holy Spirit uses her to affirm Mary, to bless Mary. And it reminds me that you and I need people in our lives to call us up, to give us confidence and a reassurance through these relationships, right? We need support from other people that when we're taking that step out in faith, when we're stepping into the unknown, that the Holy Spirit can use people around us to speak into our life and be that support system to say, you are hearing from God. God is at work in your life. This is good stuff. It reminds me of another clip from the Santa Claus where throughout the entire movie, everyone doubts that Tim Allen's character is Santa except for his son. His son, the entire movie, has believed you are the next Santa Claus. And he's reassuring him and he's telling him this and he's believing in it and he's telling him all these things that are gonna happen. And eventually, Tim Allen's character comes to this moment of revelation and realizes that the one person that's believed in him the whole time is his son, Charlie. And it's in this moment, like, he begins to see his new identity as Santa. He begins to believe all this about what's about to transpire. And he is, you know, old Saint Nick at that point. And he steps into that identity, begins moving forward. Now, who knew we were going to find so many parallels between uh, Tim Allen's Santa Claus and the Virgin Mary? But I think it works. I think it makes the point. This idea that we step into this new season, we step out in faith, we step into the unknown, and we need support from other people. Mary needed Elizabeth in that moment. Tim Allen needed his son Charlie, right? And it's not that our obedience is dependent upon other people. Sometimes as people pleasers, myself included in this, we, we feel like God's leading us and, and we kind of get kind of primed up like, okay, God's leading me, he's leading me. And, 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 but we will wait until we get a consensus from other people. We will wait to say, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Is everybody in agreement? Okay, now we'll move forward. And I won't move forward until everybody reassures me. And, and that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we've got to step out into faith and embrace those risks and embrace those potentials of the unknown. But God will use the people around you to affirm and to reassure and say, yes, as risky and as radical as that feels, I believe God is talking to you. I believe you're right. Keep going. We need people that will challenge us, inspire us, encourage us to keep us risky. We need people to keep us risky. And we see this in the, in the uh, letter of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, one of the most quoted verses right now during the pandemic. People want to be together, and here's what happens through God's church, right? In, in Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on 
toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. The author is saying right there, he's, he's putting the, the end day. The end is near. Jesus said the end is coming. The end is near. There's an urgency there. But what happens is we get complacent, we get fearful, we get comfortable, we get apathetic, whatever it is. And we need each other to do what? Spur us on. That's what Hebrews says. Spur each other on towards love and good deeds. Because that's not always our natural inclination. That's not always easy. That's not, there's risk involved in loving and doing good deeds and, and, and doing what God has called us to do. And we need each other like Mary needed Elizabeth. We need each other to speak life into each other. And that's my question. Who are the risky relationships in your life? Who are the ones in your life challenging you, helping you to stay risky? Who challenges you outside of your comfort zone and to shake up your status quo? Who encourages you that you are, in fact, hearing from God? Who's in your life speaking that way? Who inspires you to persevere when it's difficult? We need people in our life. And if you don't have that right now, man, I, I pray that you would begin praying for those types of relationships, people that spur you on to encourage you, to push you forward towards doing what God has called you to do. We all need an Elizabeth when we feel like Mary. And we all need to be an Elizabeth to other people's Mary. Now you might be thinking as we wrap all this up, what, what's the reward to all this embracing risk, Sean? I'm a risk-averse person. What, what's the win here if I go do all this, if I'm willing to lay it all down and pay the cost and, and, and run, you know, toe the line there? It's potentially very risky. Well, sure, you may see some cool things happen. You may gain some cool stories. Uh, you may gain a greater sense of fulfillment and purpose, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to look and feel awesome because you're seeing God at work in your life, and that's cool. Uh, you may have some Instagram moments from this, but I think ultimately the real reward is that as we embrace risk, we end up embracing Jesus because I'm not living my life into what is safe. I'm not living my life into what I can accomplish, what I can attain, what I can do what is secure for me? I'm living my life saying, Jesus, what are you calling me to do no matter the cost? No matter what it's going to cost me, Jesus, what you, and it causes me to be more dependent upon Jesus than on myself. It causes me to lean into Jesus rather than into my own strength and capacity and my own resources and other people. I lean more into Jesus. And this whole series is about embracing who? Jesus. It's about learning to embrace Jesus every day. I want to see Jesus at, at work in my life. I want to hear Jesus speaking to my heart. I want to experience that on a daily basis. I want to participate in his purposes, much like Mary participated in God's purposes. But I've got to be willing to start by saying yes, humbly, obediently, and faithfully, willing to embrace whatever comes, whatever risk is involved with it, saying yes to Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray for us right now that I just, I, I'm understanding that there are some of us uh, that need to just make a, a clear decision to following you, to commit to saying, Jesus, you are my number one. Jesus, you are the leader of my life, the king of my life. 
the one that is in charge of my life. I want to say yes to you with my life in this moment. I want to pray for anybody right now that's uh, wanting to make that commitment, make that decision to say yes to Jesus, uh, to become a Christian or a Christ follower, as we say. I just want to pray for you. Jesus, be the king of our life. Forgive us of our sin. Forgive us of our selfishness. Forgive us of our fears. God, where we've allowed fear and comfort and safety and ourselves to get in the way. Forgive us and give us a fresh start. Lead our lives down your path. God, I pray for all of us as a church, all of Hub City Church right now, that you would give us the boldness and courage to say yes to you in big decisions, small decisions, everyday decisions, and that we are willing to sacrifice it all for you, Jesus, because it's worth it. Thank you, Jesus. Help us to say yes to you. In your name we pray. Amen. For more information, check out thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.